Welcome to the Ignition Point Podcast. This is where, from time to time, Jeremiah and I get to share what's on our hearts with all of you. So thanks for logging in, and we hope you enjoy it. Welcome, everybody. I'm Jeremiah. And I'm Courtney. And you are listening to the long-awaited episode number 32 of the Ignition Point podcast. Very long-awaited, unfortunately. Yeah, we didn't realize when we recorded the last episode and titled it A Wasted Year that we would then go on and waste an entire year before the next episode. Maybe we've just been working really hard preparing. Let's look at it that way. That's it. Mm -hmm. And that means this is going to be a really good one. So buckle your seatbelts. But if you've listened to many of the episodes of this podcast, there is a theme that's kind of threaded through it all, and that's that we're on a journey, right? That this life is a, is a process. It's not just a sprint, but it's a marathon. It's not just a chapter, but it, there's an entire story being written yeah. with our lives. And why do we need constant reminding of this? Well, because when we look around us, especially on social media, we're only seeing the highs of other people's lives or ministries, and we often compare their highs to the lows of our own lives and ministries. And that can be so dangerous. It can be so dangerous for many reasons. One, if you're in a low looking at someone else's high, then it can create this like sense of self-loathing. Or the reverse, like if you're on this high, you happen to be in life right now, and you're looking at someone else's low, then it can create all this sense of like pride. There was a reason why Paul said those who compare themselves among themselves are unwise, because it's snapshots of people's lives. For instance, I mean, we could do this with so many people in the Bible, but say you take King David and you have, you know, one Instagram post that is talking about when he basically planned the murder of Bathsheba's husband. Scoundrel. And, right? Scoundrel. And you're going to have a certain image of who King David is. But maybe you jump into the storyline when he's out swinging his slingshot and, and killing Goliath. And then that's going to give you a specific image of who David is. But like Jeremiah saying, it's an entire story story. We cannot judge ourselves or one another based on these chapters. There are highs and lows. Even as we're progressing forward, pursuing the plans and the purposes of God, there will be highs and lows. There's actually a song called Highs and Lows that this band called Hillsong wrote. Oh, for those of you who don't know, Hillsong is a, <laughs> what would you say, like an up They're and coming worship fairly group? Fairly unknown. Fairly unknown from, uh, <laughs> from the island continent of Australia. Island continent. That was fancy. Yes. And so the, in this song, Highs and Lows, which basically just has the theme of Psalm 139, it's a pretty song. But one thing they keep saying is, you're too good to let me go. You're too good to let me go. And ultimately, because our desire with these podcasts is to encourage you, the theme and all that we're talking about today is that with the highs and the lows of this journey that we're on, he is always too good to let you go. So we want to take a look at Elijah and what he experienced during a three-chapter portion of his life, track the trajectory of his highs and lows, and see how he handled the defeats and victories that he experienced. Because through this little journey we're about to take you on, you'll see that Elijah experienced so many things similar to what so many of us experienced. Right. You'll see that he experienced loneliness, exhaustion, hunger and thirst, and conflict and fear and hopelessness, and he constantly had negative reports uh, <laughs> happening all around him. So many of the things that, that many of us battle today. Yeah. So let's start tracking the trajectory of Elijah's life, starting here in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. And just to set the stage, this is Elijah giving a word from God to the king at the time, who was Ahab. And it says, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. 
And I'm seeing this as kind of a high because I can imagine Elijah standing there in confidence and power, delivering the word from God to the king. And it's about a serious matter, right? And right. It's, it's just a powerful moment. And so that's a high. And so now let's set the benchmark for a low. In the very next verse, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide. Yeah, I think if God is telling you, run and hide, that's definitely a low. <laughs> right, that's a problem. And so where he is sent to hide, he's going to be hungry and he's going to be thirsty. And so God provides for that, right? It says in verse 6, The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And so he goes from this low of, you better hide, to this high of, man, God is providing for me yeah. in my time of need in a supernatural way. Right. They flew it in. Birds. This the, <laughs> the Uber Eats of the day. I mean, this is amazing. And so he goes from that high to the very next verse to a low where it says, sometime later, the brook dried up. Ugh. Then it says in verse 9, go at once to, I'm going to say it's Jerapheth of Sidon and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. And so immediately after that low of the brook drying up, then God's right there again, providing for his needs. He's with him in his suffering, and he sends him in the direction of this widow who has been commanded to meet his needs. However, the widow is not aware that she's been commanded to meet his needs. And when he gets there, this was her response in verse 12. I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home to make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Wow. So there is another low. The, the direction that God sent Elijah that was supposed to be something that would fulfill his needs, all of a sudden he gets there and there's just more... Nothing. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing there. <laughs> so Elijah says to her in the very next verse, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said, but first make a small cake of bread for me <laughs> from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. So in the next verse, there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with what the word of the Lord was that was spoken by Elijah. And so again, another high. Hi. Man, that's a miracle right? A jar of flour that has, it's bottomless in a time where nobody has anything. So that's a high. Next verse. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse, and he finally stopped breathing. <laughs> Man. Yeah. And the lady immediately looks at Elijah and blames him, like, what have you done? What have you brought upon my house? And so again, this miracle moment followed by another low. But then that's followed by another high, because in verse 22, the Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Ah, another miracle. So now we're, we're uh, through chapter 17, and you can already see that this is a, a, crazy, a crazy trajectory that swings yeah. from really high highs to really low lows, but the constant is that God is in both of them, yeah. right? Elijah's never left without. Elijah has never left alone. At the start of chapter 18, it says, after a long time in the third year. So this is, you know, you'd expect this to be 10 years. This was only three years that all of this happened, but yet still kind of a long time, right? Right To be on this roller coaster. The word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send the rain on the land. So now it's go time. <laughs> it's been three years, it's been dry, but the promise of God is still in full effect and it's about to rain. So Elijah has to go find Ahab. The only problem is Ahab's wife is a lady named Jezebel. <laughs> no. 
exactly. <laughs> Jezebel. <laughs> right. And Jezebel was making it her personal mission to kill all of the prophets. And so the only prophets that still remained were all in hiding in two caves. You can read about it there in, in chapter 18. But then uh, we get to this moment where he finds Ahab at Mount Carmel, and Ahab is not alone. Ahab has 850 false prophets with him, and then there's Elijah who has himself. (laughs) And in this moment, I'm sure he was feeling a little lonely and definitely outnumbered. But you know how this story plays out. The false prophets build an altar. Elijah builds an altar. They both put their sacrifices on their altars, and they both pray to their God. And whichever God responds with fire would have been known from that day forward to be the true and living God. So the 850 prophets went first. They went through their rituals of praying and dancing and crying and cutting themselves. Mm -hmm. And their God, being a false God, doesn't respond, right? There's nothing. Then it's Elijah's turn. He does what he does. Read the story if you haven't heard it before, because it's amazing. God responds with fire, right? Elijah calls down the fire, basically. God responds with an uncommon fire that burns up everything. So there is no doubt from that moment on of who is the true and the living God. So there was a miracle on the mountain that day, but it wasn't the miracle that Elijah was expecting, right? This whole journey that he's been on, all the highs and all the lows have been about the rain, right? that there would be rain that would fall on the land. And even though something amazing happened that day, it still wasn't the rain, but Elijah's response was so amazing. So after the fire fell down, you know, it says all the people, they fell on their faces and they cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. In verse 40, Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal, don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the valley and slaughtered there. So this is the amazing response that Elijah had. And Elijah said to Ahab, go, eat, and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. But in reality, there was not the sound of a heavy rain. Right. In fact, there was no sign of rain at all. So Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. So I understand that to be a posture of worship. He knew he needed to be with God, so he went up the mountain, and he got in the presence of God. Verse 43, go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Well, uh, go back again and look again. There's nothing there, Elijah. Uh, Go again. And this repeated itself six times. You know, a lot of times a report can be bad, and that's okay. Or a report can be good, and that's okay. At least there's something. But to have a nothing report, yeah. I don't know if there's anything more demoralizing than a nothing report. Nothing. And, and maybe you have been at a, in a season of your life, and maybe we've been in that season recently, mm-hmm. where it's not a bad report. It's not a good report. It's just a nothing, nothing. report. <laughs> there's nothing changing. There's nothing happening. And that can be the most frustrating thing. Finally, on the seventh time, Elijah said, go back. The seventh time, the servant reported a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. And I don't know about you, but if that were me, I might have been disappointed in that. I might have expected to see something a little bit more significant. Like I'm going to see a hurricane rolling in, right? There are going to be water spouts coming from the clouds (laughs) touching down. It's going to be violent. It's going to be what it should be because it's the rain that God promised. But in that moment when he saw that, that puny little cloud up in the distance, It didn't mean that it was a sign of God's unfaithfulness or a lack of power. Instead, it was a sign of God's 100% faithfulness. This was going to be the 100% answer, and Elijah knew it. Yeah, and he immediately responded. Like, that's the thing that kills me. He saw that one little cloud the size of a man's hand. He didn't even actually see it. It says the servant told him it was there, and he immediately said, it wasn't like, well, let's go wait and see what happens. No, he immediately said, go, 
Tell Ahab to hitch up his chariot and get down before the rain stops him. And in that period of time, it says, Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain came, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. And the power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. So this is like a super high. Right. He like... prayed, he sought God, he believed, and as soon as he saw just an inkling of what might be the promise of God, he acted, let's go. And then he had this crazy supernatural experience that I can't even really understand, but somehow he outran a chariot, however far away it was, back to Jezreel. So then he gets back to Jezreel and almost immediately gets this message from Jezebel, who we mentioned earlier, who has now heard what Elijah had done on the mountain to all the other prophets. And she sends word like, you're a dead man, basically. I'm coming to get you. And in verse three, it says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And we could read that and be like, oh my God, Elijah, like, what is your problem? Like, you just had this incredible supernatural experience. Why are you afraid of Jezebel? But for me, I read that and I'm like, oh, thank God it's not just me. (laughs) Thank God I'm not the only one who can have these crazy, amazing moments with God and then find myself just a week or two later, like, you know, unable to find my faith. Like, what happened to me? Why do I feel so shaken? But God, God wasn't angry with Elijah. God wasn't shaking his finger in annoyance at Elijah. It says that Elijah ran away. He sat under a tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lays down and falls asleep. And I get this. Like, all of us have moments somewhat similar to this, maybe not quite this extreme, but maybe so, maybe even worse. Mm. And God is so kind to Elijah in this moment. If you see what happens next, he sends an angel to him and the angel touches him and says, get up and eat. The angel has brought fresh baked bread. <laughs> the French would love this. And <laughs> water for Elijah to Ooh, eat. Uber eats. <laughs> what? Nice bread. <laughs> Baguettes. <laughs> this is amazing. And so, and so he eats and then he goes back to sleep for a little bit. Like Elijah is weary. He's tired. And even sometimes like this is something that happens, right? We have these amazing, miraculous mountaintop experience. And sometimes right after that, we get our legs knocked out from underneath us and we can be weary and tired. And so the angel wakes him up again and tells him, there's a journey ahead that's going to be too much for you. Eat and drink some more. And then he was strengthened by the food, and he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. Now, this next little bit is something that I had never seen the many times I've read through this, except for recently. And the next bit of that verse says, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And then it goes on, you know, this next part is the most beautiful part, right? The Lord calls him to the edge of the cave and says, the presence of God is going to pass by. And there was a powerful wind, there was an earthquake, there was a fire, all these great displays that maybe Elijah expected to see God in. And then at the end of it, It says, and after the fire, a gentle whisper. And so here's the part I wanted to point out. Later in verse 13, it says, then a voice said to him. So at first it was, and the word of the Lord came to him. And then the second time, then a voice said to him. 
asked the same exact question, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah gave the same response, but there's something significant in the difference between a word and a voice. Yeah, when I heard Jeremiah say that not long ago, I was like, I want to look that up and just see like what the meaning of those words are. And so your quick Google will tell you that in that first one where he says the word of the Lord came, that's a it's a, a professional thing, like a... Formal. Yeah, as if a king were going to make a decree to his people. And to me, this symbolizes Elijah in his role as prophet, servant of God, obedient to the Lord, doing his job as the prophet for God Almighty, right? But then in the second one where it says the voice of the Lord came to Elijah, that word truly means voice. And it even says that there is a lightness to it, which hence the whisper, right? Mm. This light voice, to me, that is symbolic of this is no longer God Almighty and Elijah the prophet. This is Father God and Elijah the son. And Father God is coming close to Elijah in his misery, in his low, and saying, Elijah, what's going on? And it reminds me so much of, there's a story in Acts chapter 24, verse 11, where Paul, who has also been through hell and back at this point, and he still has a lot more to go through after Acts 24. But there's a moment where it's been rough. I can imagine Paul is weary and he is tired like Elijah in this moment. Paul's body has been through more than most of us can imagine. And he's in a dungeon chained up. And it says, it actually says that Jesus, that the Lord came and stood near Paul and said to him, take courage. I mean, how beautiful is that? Mm -hmm. It is this idea that God is not just with us in the mountaintop glory experience, but he is with us in the the mud, in the mire. And not long ago, my mom sent me this thing about the God of the valleys, and it's actually in scripture in the next chapter. We no longer have Elijah with us, but it's still Ahab. We still have good old Ahab with us. And and this king, Ben-Hadad, who was the king of the Ameans, Arameans, sorry, he had come out to fight Ahab and Ahab had beat him. All right. And so, so King Benadab's counselor had come to him and said, listen, the problem, the reason why they beat us is because you fought them on the mountains, you fought them in the hills. And if you pick it up in first Kings chapter 20, verse 25, no, 23, sorry, says, meanwhile, the officials of the king of Aram advised him, their gods are gods of the hills. Some translations say mountains. That's why they were too strong for us. But if we fight them on the plains or the valleys, surely we will be stronger than they. And then he repeats it just two verses later. So we can fight Israel on the plains, some say valleys, then surely we will be stronger than they. Then it goes on to say that they came out to fight again and down in the valley, Israel looked like two little flocks of goats while the Arameans covered the entire countryside. So you can picture it, right? But then the the man of God comes and tells King Ahab of Israel, this is what the Lord says, because the Arameans think that the Lord is a God of the hills only and not a God of the valleys, I will deliver this vast army into your hands and you will know that I am the Lord. And when I read that, I just pictured like with this movie in my head, the Lord overhearing the counselors say to Benadad, like, oh, no, 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 he's just he's just with him on the mountaintop. He's just with him, with him in the good times, in the miraculous times. He's a God of the hills. He's a God of the mountain. You drag those suckers down into the valley, then there's no way that they are going to be able to overcome you. And I could just see like the Lord, like, what, 
you don't think I'm with him in the valley? You think I abandoned the ones that I love, the ones that I created in the worst moments of their lives, which is what the valley represents, right? Right. You think that I'm not going to, to be just as strong for them, the God that they know in the valley as I am on the mountaintop? And it reminded me of a song because I've thought a lot about this over the last bit of time in our our recent season of life here in France. And I found a song, again, by that unknown group called Hillsong. They're going to be good one day. (laughs) One day. Mark my word. (laughs) You people will know them. (laughs) But it wasn't a song I'd ever heard of before. I don't even remember how I stumbled across it, but it's called Highlands. And I'm just going to read you a bit of it. I, I won't sing it for you. Don't worry. But it says, I will praise you on the mountain, and I will praise you when the mountain's in my way, because you're the summit where my feet are. So I'll praise you in the valley all the same. No less God within the shadows, and no less faithful when the night leads me astray. You're the heaven where my heart is, and the highlands and the heartache all the same. And then it says, the chorus Whatever I walk through, wherever I am, your name can move mountains wherever I stand. And if I ever walk through the valley of death, I'll sing through the shadows my song of ascent. So for any of you listening to this today, whether you're praising God on the mountains, or maybe you're in a season where you are choosing to sing through the shadows, we just hope that you know that no matter what, He is too good to ever let you go. Thanks so much for listening. And be sure to keep an eye out for our next podcast. And stay in touch with us at our website, theignitionpoint.org, or on Twitter, or on Facebook, or on Instagram. See you next time.